message today. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 26, and we'll read to verse 29. The Apostle John speaking, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Hopefully everybody's doing well. Um, There's a young man visiting today. His name is Jeff. Got a freshly shaven face there. Make sure to say hi to him. So, 1 John. Um, thank you, John, for, for that reading. He continues this morning, uh, John does, with his disciples, talking to disciples. And that's important. It's very important to know who the Scripture is talking to. Um, we, we talked about that a little bit in a, in a group this morning. Um, Understanding the context of the word, understanding who is being spoken to. Uh, you know, you wouldn't, uh, if you've ever put together a piece of furniture from Ikea, you know, you, you, uh, you become good with Swedish pictographs, I call them. Um, but you wouldn't start at like page four of the instructions and expect that the project was going to come out well. And sometimes you see people treat the scripture that way. Right? They jump into the middle of the scripture or in one portion of scripture and they take an understanding or a doctrine uh, from that. And there's, I think, a point in today's passage where people have done that. And so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. And so what John is doing is encouraging these disciples to endure in the Christian life. And, and I talk about endurance, not in the, in the terms of letting something continually painful happen to you uh, and still sit there. Um, I talk of endurance in terms of like a marathon, you know, an endurance event, going all the way through it, doing the things that are required in order to complete that race and to finish that race. And that's some of the language that Paul would use of the Christian life anyway. Um, no, no one runs in a marathon. No one competes in a marathon, but they're, they're going after some prize. And so we'll see that in what John talks about this morning. The the prize of the Christian life is Jesus. The prize of the Christian life is nothing on this earth. Nothing on this planet, this terrestrial ball, is the prize of the Christian life. In fact, it's all tertiary. Everything here is tertiary and secondary to the supreme nature of Christ. That's the treasure. That's what we run after. And John encourages them towards that because there's something else that's going to be drawing and pulling at them that he'll talk to because he, he points them to the word of God. The only way that we can truly know God, these 66 books right here is the only way to know God. There is nothing on the shelf at Lifeway that will help you better know God than this right here. 
In fact, the only thing, if you try to replace the scriptures with something else, you're inviting in the opportunities for error. A lot of people are very creative. There's a lot of very creative thinkers in the world, very intelligent people. That's why doctoral programs exist. It's to encourage people to understand how to research and present their ideas. And that's fantastic. But it can also be used for evil. People can try to present crazy ideas about God. I think I I may have shared with some of you before, I used to live in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, I was at a, a kind of a biggest church there. And one day something came to my doorstep, it was a FedEx envelope, and it had no sender information on it. And it just had my, you know, my home address. And so I open it up, and a book comes out with a note in the front. It says, my cherished John, may this encourage and bless you. And it just had the letter L was the signature, which is funny because my sister-in-law's name is Lisa. But the book was called The Evolution of God, and it was a horrific treatment that had no knowledge of scripture, but, but claimed to present things about God. Um, I never read it. I don't know who it's from. Uh, if I had a heresy stamp, it would be adorned with that. But I'm sure several people have read it. And I'm sure there's people that believe it. Because there are very intelligent people who look to give different presentations of what a God construct may be. Um, I have... Uh, Heresy dar, which is like a radar, but for heresy. And um, a lot of times, I'll, it's like a spidey sense. You know, I can feel the tingling. And often when people say, well, I think God, I get a, I get a spidey sense. And so John, in this encouragement in verses 26 through 29, which of course picks up from the larger context, is helping them to develop that sense that capability, that ability to hear, tuned to doctrine. And as we interact with the Word, as you read the Word, you'll find yourself sometimes speaking in the very words of Scripture, right? When you start to talk about God, you'll say things that are just from the pages of Scripture. And so then you'll hear people say things sometimes and you go, what? You know, you pick up on these little subtle nuances that you would never know otherwise. And so John is encouraging these people to develop that kind of a sense. Um, In our our Sunday morning group, so some of you, uh, you know, see in the mornings, there's there's a group of folks that are in the room about 830. Um, I get here much earlier than that. John comes in right about 8.30 on the nose, 8.31, 8.32. Um, but we, we kind of have a, a time of study. And just this morning, we were talking about a, cu- a couple of things. We've been, we've been going through the solas. If you've ever heard of the solas, one is uh, sola scriptura, which is only by scripture. And uh, so the, the reformer Luther would say, convince me by scripture and reason. And if you can't, then I'm disinterested. So only, only scripture is needed. And so, so many errors that people believe or fall into, uh, they, they do so because they've decided to believe something, and then they've decided to either read the word in that light or to ignore the word and believe the thing that they want to believe. Uh, so this morning, we were talking about the order of salvation, the ordo salutis, if you want to sound neat. 
or if you want to print a t-shirt, um, but the order of how we understand what happens, right? And, and um, we see that uh, the, the word describes that the order of salvation starts with God. And so, so many people would not believe that. So many people would believe that the order of salvation starts with me hearing and understanding the gospel and then deciding to follow after God. But that runs into so many problems in Scripture, not the least of which being the Scripture says none seeks after God, no, not one. And so if that's a math problem and you, you get in front of a, of a whiteboard and you start to write up all the population of the earth and you come up with a way to to estimate what the current population of the earth is. And then you, you add the, come down to the next line and, and you look for how many people then are seeking after God. The answer is always zero. And so something supernatural has to happen. God, God makes a, a decision. It says that he predestined. And so you start from the scriptures and you understand better. Because what we tend to do as people is we start from our emotions or we start from the way someone else has explained it to us. Right? Like some of you probably have things in your head that were explained to you as a child that probably aren't even true. Or you misunderstood the way it was communicated to you. But it's back there and you believe it. Or if you pick me up and you put me in a culture of people who, um, who are cannibals, and I, from my culture, read the scriptures, I'm going to understand things a lot differently. So we have to step outside of our culture. We have to step outside of our understanding. We have to approach the word to say, what does it say? And that's what John is asking them to develop. So if you look at verse 26 of 1 John, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So we ask, well, then what are, what are these things? Are they things he's about to say? Or are they things that have already been said? And uh, Pastor John taught... Two weeks ago? It's just been, you've talked so many times recently. I've, he uh, didn't come prepared one morning for his, for his message, and so it kind of threw off some of, the, some of the schedule things. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, and it might become plain that they are, that they all are not of us. So John starts on the heels of that statement in verse 19 about those that went out from the church. That's, that's the us. The us is the church, those of us who are, who are gathered in the body. And he's writing to a specific group of people, and they know exactly what's happened. They know that a group, a fraction of people, a faction of people have left the body and gone off to do something else. And so he says, I write these things then to you because that happened. And they didn't just leave to join a neighboring church or one closer in town or to have a, a, an easier commute or perhaps better parking. Because I've heard there are churches that don't have a great parking situation. <laughs> competitive on-street parking. They didn't change from excite church to exuberate church. And both excite and exuberate capitalize the X and use it in their logo because it's cool. 
We can make fun of that now. They left the body, not because of bifold or trifold bulletins, not to change denominations. They left because they no longer believed in an orthodox way. They couldn't coalesce anymore. Maybe there was some major doctrinal error. And we're always, I feel like we're often surprised that that happens. Um, We're surprised that from among our own number come wolves. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, um, certainly if you've been involved in, in, in a, in a you know, tight core group or, or kind of a leadership situation, you have seen some crazy stuff. I cannot believe the stories that I have to tell um, of people who sometimes from within our own number work specifically to do damage and hurt other people. When in fact, uh, my church in, in New Mexico, where lots of strange things happened, uh, unfortunately, if you were to go into the office and open up the door where the, the printer or the copy machine was were pictures of people who are no longer allowed in the building. Um, we had people who have stood up in the middle of service and started screaming at the pastor. We have people who have physically cut the brake lines on his car. I think I shared with you guys before, I, I one time pulled a man aside who was uh, um, praying on some of the younger women in the church and... Um, trying to get them to pay him for prayer leaves. It it is a wild world out there. And again, the scriptures tune our minds to this. If you will, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. They read like this. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hominius and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those who left the church in verse 19 of chapter 2 left because they were never truly of them. They were never truly of that group of people. They never truly were grafted in. Maybe you've heard someone on the side being subversive of the church. We, we like, for whatever reason, we like to cause division. Sometimes we don't even recognize it in ourselves that we're doing it. Maybe we think of it as like coffee talk or, you know, by the cooler. Did you hear that this person did that? Or another person did this other thing? Maybe, maybe worse, can you believe that the pastors believe this? They miscommunicated that and start to cause divisions and fractions within a body who in Christ are to be unified.
Why would you be somewhere where you thought the pastor or preaching elders miscommunicated Christ? If you were to come to me and say, oh, did you know that they're miscommunicating? I'd be like, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. You mean to tell me you're still here? You, you go somewhere? You attend somewhere? You allow your family to be around? Misrepresentation or wrong understanding of God? It's like, it's, it, I, I just don't understand that. Why would you be a part of that? Or are you just here because you want to cause a problem inside? Are you being used by the enemy as a very willing vessel to confuse the flock? Now hear me, I'm not saying that if you think you hear something that's not right, you should just go with it. I'm not saying that. The scriptures say test all things. Paul uplifts the Bereans by saying they compared what he said to the word to see if it was so. We should be just like that. But comparing what was said to the word and testing all things is very, very different from going around in the background and crawling around the flock and doing things that could cause damage to people, making people question the very foundations of what they believe in the structure that they're within. That's evil, and if you're doing that, you need to stop doing that. You need to gird your loins and go to the pastor that you think uh, misrepresented God. Matthew 18 has an entire approach on how to handle that. But going around in the background is evil. Acts 20, verses 29 through 31. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 2 Peter 2.1 But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. This is what they're experiencing. This is the kind of thing that John is writing to. This, is, this happens. It happens in the church. It happens today. When our minds are attuned to right doctrine, we hear errors coming from a mile away. I love the illustration. I have no idea if it's true. Uh, I think the first time I heard it was a guy named Skip Heitzig, which now that I say that, I wonder, did his parents really name him Skip? Or is that the worst nickname? Nonetheless, he said that when a bank teller is being trained to recognize a real bill, they don't hand them a stack of fakes and have them look at all the fakes. They set them down before a light and they give them a real bill and have them study it and feel the paper and look at the details and, and just move it around in their hands. Because you can't study all the different kinds of fakes. They're constantly producing new and better fakes. The same thing is true of Scripture. Rather than going off and understanding every cult group, every twisted version, 
you're vastly better to really understand what God has said. And when you hear something out of line with it, your spidey sense will start to tingle. You'll pick up on it. As soon as you hear someone start to say something that's maybe a little bit off, you'll go, wait, is that right? And as Pastor John and I have discussed so frequently, when people will bring something that is in error and quote the scripture from their head, I bet you it's 9.9 times out of 10. If you say, well, hold on, let's hit pause on that. And let's, let's go there. And I'll read it. Let's look a couple verses above. Let's look a couple verses below. And let's see if it speaks to that. I bet you a lot of times it's being misquoted. And then I also would put a heavy wager, chips in, that the immediate context probably clears up what they're talking about. Um, and there is also a principle, and it'll come up this morning in Scripture, where we understand things by the more clear passages, and then we go to the lesser clear passages, and we say, okay, how is this, how is this different, or what is this saying? Right? You don't start down in something that's really veiled and complex and try to pull it apart if there's something that more plainly speaks to that issue. In Colossians 2.8, we see the Scripture say, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There are so many philosophical arguments in the world that work to press against the Christian faith. And if you start from those philosophies and have a conversation, you're already behind the eight ball, right? It's like um, Ray Comfort one time said he could prove the existence of God without a Bible. And he went on uh, some kind of a television show to try to do it. And it was a train wreck. But why would you do that? Probably talking about cosmological argument for God, right? There's a whole universe, therefore it must have a creator. But why have a philosophical conversation? The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, um, to those who don't believe. They're not going to convince someone that they should be a Christian. They're going to present someone with the gospel, and if um, God would open their mind and their eyes and give them saving faith, they will be saved. We serve a sovereign God who is completely sovereign. And by the way, there's no such thing as degrees of sovereignty. Sovereignty is very binary. It's off or on. And God is sovereign. He's not willing that any should perish, meaning he's not wringing his hands, hoping that people perish. But those who he calls, those he foreknew, those he predestined, those who are given to Christ by him will come. They will not successfully resist God's effective call. By John 6, 65, Jesus said that no one has the ability to come. Not ability, word of ability. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And it's not like he goes, ah, I lost one. Darn. I tell you, that Doug is, is wiggly. Couldn't get him pinned down. It's like nailing jello to a tree. God picks the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he said, that Doug, he's foolish. I'll take him. John is pressing hard on this. It's important. He writes to the little children pastorally. He cares for this group of people so deeply. 
He desires that they understand that the people that are drawing on them, coming in with philosophies that are not attuned to their doctrinal hearing, that are not aligned with Scripture, he doesn't want them to follow after that. And so we read in Titus, Titus 1, 10 through 16, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. <laughs> this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Wow. I mean, bummer. <laughs> if you're those guys. Paul's instructing Titus and the leadership, the preacher, preachers, as they serve in Crete. The church must focus on the word. John, in our passage, is not writing necessarily just to the church leaders about how to select leaders or disfellowship or discipline or deal with issues. He's writing to the believers about continuing in their personal walk with Christ, enduring, just as you and I and all of us must endure. We'll be pressed on all sides, Scripture says, but not crushed. There's constant pressure. If you don't feel it, you're not paying attention. There is constant pressure to believe something else. The enemy is constantly throwing darts at what we believe. Telling you the historic faith, what people have believed for 2,000 years, it was wrong. And you really need to understand it through the eyes of a country that was born 200 years ago. And that's how you need to understand what God has said. Whole frameworks for understanding the scriptures based on a country that's 200 years old. And it's frankly strange. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Trying to deceive. I think sometimes we don't even recognize that that's happening. Sometimes we don't even recognize that people are trying to deceive. You know, it's interesting, you, you think about big church denominations and structures. There is so much jockeying going on in the background. People working for positions of power. Now, you would be blown away if you knew how wild it was. <laughs> I mean, ch church and denominational structures are still built out of people. Redeemed, but people in process. There's, there's no such thing as, you know, like the uh, Southern Baptist Convention meets together and they're going to elect all of these different positions and leaders. I tell you what, people have been working in the background all year to put themselves where they are and to be considered for various things. 
and to take certain positions on issues. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Sometimes we just kind of float around in the world and we think things are just kind of happening, right? There's, there's no ulterior motives going on in the background. We forget we live in a broken world. There are lots of ulterior motives happening. The ways that things are presented on television are very, very specific. They're designed to push you in some direction. You're not just kind of hanging out and watching things. Things are coordinated. You, you don't have a preference on pe Pepsi or Coke because you just chose that one taste better, most likely. You were somehow coerced. There is a lot of money that goes into advertising. The passage says it's written about those who are trying to deceive. We need to keep our minds tuned to the fact that there's active work trying to deceive our minds to believe something that's sometimes contrary to Scripture, oftentimes contrary to Scripture. And you know what? Maybe you're, you're thinking about scenarios and situations that are outside of yourself because it's very easy to do that. It is very easy to spot sin in someone else's life. Very easy to point out sin in someone else's life. Very difficult to do the same for yourself. Very difficult to consider your own motives. Um, some of you know my life verse is Jeremiah 17, 9. Uh, this describes people very well. And we forget that about ourselves sometimes. It's us. It's like the shingles virus, man. If you had chicken pox, that sucker's in you, which freaks me out. That is like the scariest advertising campaign. If you have had chicken pox, shingles is in you. That weirds me out so bad. That's sin. It is, it is in us. And so we should constantly be testing ourselves constantly be comparing ourselves. And I'm going to tell you what, if you constantly come out on top, take another look. What does Jim say? Sometimes we have to put the halo on a, on a tilt. So we see ourselves more highly than we ought. When the songs we sing describe us as a worm, they're accurate. Uh, we're, we're described by some of the reformers as dung-covered, snow-covered dunghills. Wait, help me out. Snow-covered dung hills, yes. Not dung-covered snow hills. That's a, that'd be a bummer. Yeah. A snow-covered dung hill. This is what happens in our salvation, is how it was described. You take on an alien righteousness, meaning one that isn't yours. You take on the very righteousness of Christ. Why? Because you're righteous? No. It's alien to you. You are not righteous. It's given to you. Jesus' life was lived perfectly to cover you. That's why he was pierced for our iniquities. That's what Jesus did. Took it on in his flesh. Verse 27, here's where, if you don't want to go to church, this is what, this is what you say. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have... No need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Pause. This letter is written to a church of people. 
and they probably get together regularly and have teaching. So I said earlier, you don't start from verses that seem more obscure, more complicated. You don't turn to step seven of the Swedish pictograph to build your Baltor. You start at step one. You start in the clear. And so if you struggle with that, if you're that person that just really wants to be a Lone Ranger Christian, doesn't, you know, wants to believe that you understand everything about the Bible and you don't need anybody to teach you the Bible, um, I would ask you what you do with these list of passages. So before you come and argue me, please make sure you read these because we will talk about them. James 3.1, 1 Timothy 4.13, 1 Corinthians 1.21. And if you actually take me up on that, there will be a lot more that you will have to deal with. <laughs> Same with election. I don't argue that anymore. Um, I used to be into it when I was younger. Now I'm old and grumpy. Uh, if you can't see it, I'll just pray for you. Because you, you need to pull out the exacto knife and get to work on your Bible because you hate it. You want to do violence to the very scriptures. You want to make God your servant. See, and I said I don't argue it. Second Peter 1, 19 through 21 and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, until the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. John's not making an injunction against biblical preaching or one-on-one -on -one discipleship and teaching. In fact, it's an encouragement to keep those things biblical. He, what he's saying is, shouldn't be uh, being taught something that didn't come from the Holy Spirit, that isn't the Word of God. Shouldn't be entertaining these people who have left the body in 2.19 and their ideas that are not coming from Scripture. Those aren't of God. You've been anointed with the very spirit whose word is recorded in these 66 books. You don't need to take on some other philosophy. If someone comes to you with some interesting concept of angelology or whatever it is, weird thing they're into, the, the order of the nine stars or the quad winged uh, parrot gospel, ask them if that at all aligns with the word. Because it's if it's something that is trying to describe God that's not from Scripture, you're in very dangerous territory because the Scriptures inform us that they are all we need for life, for godliness, for reproof, and for instruction, for doctrine, and for teaching. If you're in a discipleship group that thinks first, all right, let's read Wild Heart or something equally silly, you all need to prefer Scripture first. So frequently, Christians want to read anything but the Bible. Make every day a Friday, right? I mean, even if uh, Dr. Joel S. Olstein and his 
exegetical stylings of the original Hebrew authorship was solid, you should still go to the Scriptures first, primarily. Now, some of those tools, not the one that I just made up, uh, but some good commentaries and some good authors can certainly be helpful, um, especially if they're already dead because you know where they ended up, right? We know that Luther got a little crazy towards the end. We know where he ended up. Um, I had suggested, I use a, a software called Logos. Uh, please don't say Logos. Logos Bible Software. And I had suggested to them at some point that it would be interesting to do a tagging on their resources, right? So I could know if someone, what's their bent? Where are they coming from? Are they Reformed? Are they Covenantal? Because we forget that when we pick up a commentary, you're in that person's framework. So how they understand the scriptures are how they're describing the scripture to you. They can be good and helpful tools, but you have to be aware of where they're coming from because they have a perspective. I know when someone's Baptistic, I know when they're Presbyterian, and I know the passages I can go to where they'll see them differently. Always best to be in the word, primarily, first. You wouldn't really be hurt by it if you were only in the scriptures. Please don't read Wildheart. The scriptures are not from men, but ultimately from God. We just, we just read that, that. The Holy Spirit moved on them. And it's not automatrons, right? It's not that they went into a deep trance in their arms, just kind of grabbed a quill and started doing this number, and the Spirit, you know, spoke, says he, the Spirit breathed through them. So using their experiences described all of the things that God wanted them to describe, but said them with their own personalities and their own understanding of the world. Um, we were discussing high film and arts and culture this morning. Um, I am into those things. One of those being um, a film, an historic film, really, called My Cousin Vinny, where in the courtroom, they are describing from several people's perspectives exactly how this event took place. And by understanding the posi traction rear end of a car, as well as the amount of time it took to, takes to cook grits, and the testimony of a few people, they were able to order up the timeline in a vastly superior way. The scriptures are like that. right? You've got some 40 authors writing over a huge swath of time, many of them never talking to each other, not, not cooperating. And they tell one story without error, without internal conflict. You, you couldn't even get two, two highway engineers or structural engineers to describe a building in the same way. So two people trained in the same thing, gone to school, certified, engineers, striped hat and everything. You couldn't get them to describe the thing they both mutually studied in the same way. But 40 authors write about an otherworldly God in all that he has done accurately and without conflict? Now, if you're that person who says, well, it's transmitted orally, and so we really have to edit it and audit it in order to understand it rightly, and surely it's full of, it's full of errors. I, I used to believe that way before God, by his grace, reached into my unwilling, disobedient, recalcitrant heart and redeemed me. I would have said those things. Now, I challenge you this. 
You may be surprised by this, but at times I can be a bristly person. Um, and so it would have been work. In fact, it was work for someone to explain and share to me the gospel. I was, frankly, very mean towards people and off-putting. However, if that person and those people had not endured that from me, where, where would I be? Where would I be without a gospel preacher? Beautiful are those feet of people who will share. Now, the flip side of that coin is what about all the believers that were around me and they let me believe that way? How hateful is that? It certainly isn't loving, and not loving is something else. So I think sometimes we don't really want to share with people who are bristly. Or I'll give you another side of this coin. This is a very odd coin. It has many sides. Maybe it's a die, like the one that... Uh, when the Nicholases do um, Dungeons and Dragons at the house that they use. <laughs> it can also be easier to say things in a way that is completely off-putting because in your mind, you know that that stops the conversation. That person will go away and you've done your job. You get what I'm saying? I know people... I've experienced people, maybe you've experienced this too. Um, there are people that don't know how to end a relationship or, or move on to something else in any way that's healthy. And, and that can look in a, in a lot of ways, right? It can be, um, I'm going to leave my job. So I can't just go to my boss and say, hey, um, I'm going I'm to move on. And I'm going to go somewhere else, right? I had a great time. I really appreciated working together with you, but I'm moving on. What do they, they create situations, we have to create smoke and ashes so that we can walk away from a fire because we can't just be an adult and move on. Or, or relationships. You have to create a situation where you can fight. So there's some families like this. They'll just cause a fight so that they can leave or so they can get out of the situation. Um, recently I was talking to Brianna. And I said, wow, your hair looks really nice today. I thought I was in a great spot. And she said, it doesn't usually look nice. I was like, no, 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 it just looks particularly nice today. And she said, well, does it usually not look particularly nice? And so, as any wise man would do, I pulled my phone and I said, hey, Siri, get me out of this conversation. <laughs> Again, we have to temper our hearts. Remember, my life verse is probably yours too. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us all about who we are. And we have to always be mindful of that. That's who we are. And so constantly, we have to be about the mind of Christ. I was at Roy and Emily's house last Monday, and there was a, a particular shape that was drawn to, to show Christ and, and the person with whom Christ lives, that overlap. It, it's, there's still elements of us, but there's the overlap. There's Christ in me. And I carried that into my week because I had been holding some anger towards people. I thought, you know what? Christ in me has no room for me to feel this way towards people. I'm just going to decide I'm going to let all that anger go. I'm not even going to be angry about this or with that person anymore. Man, that was powerful. And that's just going and sitting around with, with a group of folks sitting around the Word. This is transforming. It transforms our mind constantly. We're encouraged to do that. And so I, I want to challenge us all in this. If you have not found an area where you were wrong recently, you're probably deceiving yourself. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? 
It's a rhetorical question. And what would the world be like without rhetorical questions? Second Timothy 4.3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Wow. I think he was writing that about right now. Like right now. Talk about a time when you can accumulate for yourself teachers to suit your passions. My goodness. You can go get someone to teach you anything you want. You can get someone to teach you that every sin area of your life is great. That God made you like that. And cover up that sin and affirm it. But again, to check and balance ourselves because it's so easy to point that out about others. It's so difficult to see that in ourselves. So if we find ourselves, it's like uh, keep a mental note. Like if, if I, I do things in conversation, if I find I'm a storyteller and I'm like my grandfather, I tell the same one over and over. Um, so I, I try to keep tabs in my mind if I'm talking with someone. Is this all me oriented? Am I just constantly talking about me and they're not talking and Am I listening to them and what they're saying? Or am I waiting for them to say something I can springboard off of and go, go into something else? You ever hear conversations like that? It sounds like two insane people, right? They're, it's like, you, you guys aren't talking to each other. You're just waiting for a pause so you can say what you wanted to say. It's completely unhinged to what the person said. So there's things that we can put in our mind, frameworks, things that we can do um, to check ourselves and to check our hearts for our Christian walk. And we should do those things, right? We should test all things. People focused on their passions will find teachers to satisfy those passions. But the illumination in the Word is designed to help us grow more in Christ. It's by design to do that. So we should be in that. We should be in the Word, not all up in philosophies of the world. And it's very easy to get caught in that. There's lots of ways that you get pulled in, right? There's lots of uh, gateway drugs for worldly philosophies. Sometimes they're politicians or politics in general can pull you into worldly philosophies. All of a sudden, the thing that you're most concerned about is our border. It's not to say those things aren't important, but it's to say you can get pulled into worldly philosophies that God is not as concerned as you about. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And now, little children, he's told them, hey, I'm telling you these things because those that left us aren't of us. And they're trying to pull you into worldly philosophies, but You've received an anointing from the Holy Spirit. There's God in you. 
and you know what he said about himself, stick with what he said about himself and not worldly philosophers. You don't need Francis Chan to blow you away with wonderful illustrations. You need the Word of God. And he has some great illustrations. He's just bad on God sometimes. It's like uh, if I had two bottles of water up here, and I said, pure spring water, which anymore means nothing because, uh, you know, uh, the chemical companies, I don't know if it's Dow or whomever, basically poisoned everyone's water. It can never get out again. But I have pure spring water. Um, you can choose from either bottle. This one has a little bit of poo-poo in it, and this one has no poo-poo in it. This one has a great bottle. Very cool. It's like black letters. It doesn't even say water. It says Zang on it. it. has foil on the neck and a cool lid. In fact, it's not even a screw lid. It's like a pop it off like a German beer bottle kind of a lid, pressurized, you know, it goes when you open it. But this boring one over here is just, just water. Choice is clear to me. And that's how it is with teachers after vain things. Well, I know they believe this, but my goodness, the music is fantastic. They make bubbles, and when the bubbles pop, angel-shaped smoke plumes come out. And one time, there was a foam party during the service, and when you go, there's a big imperial walker, I think that's a thing, in the entryway, the narthex of the building. Um, and, and, you know, the ushers are all dressed up like stormtroopers, right? And during service, they pull out uh, worship sabers. How much of this do you think I'm making up? Happens. John, can you write down for us to get worship sabers, please? Little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame of his coming. Uh, that's a, to me, that's, that's, that's scary. That's a scary thought. Like, if I am in the Word, if I am in prayer, if I am participating in prayer at Christ's return, I'm not going to be like, oh, shoot. Like, have you ever experienced where, you know, like now with work from home, my life is weird, right? The kids don't even react anymore. I come downstairs, I'm wearing a dress shirt, and then, you know, downtown, i got like sweatpants that say juicy across the back, you know? It, this is how work life is. So, I know exactly how long we make a single cup of coffee at a time. It takes five minutes in the in the pot. So I know between meetings, you know, I'll jump off sometimes. And say, hey, I get I have to make a, a cup of coffee before my next meeting. Um, so talk to you later, and then I'll hang up. And so I go downstairs and I go to make my coffee, and then I'll start walking around talking to Big Mama. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this is going on. And then you have the moment where like the microwave catches your eye, and you're like, oh, and you look, and you're supposed to be on a meeting. Right? You're like, oh, you know that feeling when you just, you know that you know that you're late. Or like you're supposed to be somewhere at 8.30 in the morning and you're getting in the car and it's 8.20 and you know it's 20 minutes away. Just that feeling. That's what not abiding is going to look like in the presence of Christ. In that moment where you're in Christ's presence. If it's because you walk outside and you look and it's nighttime, you know, and you're looking Oh, a blood moon. And you hear, and, you, and there's like a white horse and a rider, right, coming down, and it's Jesus, and he's got like this cool sword on his mouth. Or because you die, and if you die like me, you're going to go to sleep, and you're just not going to wake up, 
It's not going to be terrible. Right? Death isn't going to be terrible for me. I'm not going to burn or be shot or die in pain. I will be asleep. Please, Lord, I hate pain. The moment that you die and you're absent from the body, you're present with God. Is that going to feel like an extension of the abiding that you had here? Or is that going to be like when I'm talking to Big Mama in the kitchen about stuff and I realize, oh, I should be at a meeting. When, when this life just stops happening and all the things that felt so important, getting the car registered, getting a Pennsylvania, People's Republic of Pennsylvania inspection sticker put on your car, having the government tell you you may drive the thing you own. Is that what it's going to feel like? And that's why John is encouraging him to abide, be in the Word, because all of the things of this life, it's vain philosophies. They're not of God. They're dumb. It sa- I know you think it sounds really smart, but it's like you're at a flat earth convention, right? They've got a lot of members all over the globe, and you're, you're at one of their many conventions in one of the hemispheres, and you're talking to flat earthers all day long. You guys are like, yeah, I can't believe nobody gets it, man. Like when you, when you look at the moon landing video, you could tell that it was, it was faked, right? You could tell that they're just kind of jumping around in a room and they s- slowed down the film. You can tell that the flag is waving and there's no atmosphere. Why would it wave? You know that in 1969, we didn't have the bit rate in a network to go from the moon and stream live to the earth. You know that it's all made up. And everybody's like, yeah, I know. And then you leave the convention and you go outside and people are pointing and they're laughing at you. Your vain philosophies, when you go outside and there's a blood moon and the horse comes down or when the lights go out and you're dead in your sleep and you wake up before God, you're going to tell him, well, I think that you, uh, God, are a woman. Uh, I know you revealed yourself in the characteristics of a man. I know that you said these things. I know that the gender contract probably wasn't real, but you used it, and I decided to go a different direction with you. I know that you described Jesus as God. I know that you said all your angels should worship him, do obeisance to him. I know that you said worship can only be oriented at God. I know that John said God, but I... God thought that I should describe Jesus as a God. And in addition to Jesus being a God, I determined that I too was also kind of a God and that we were all one. And then I got a crystal and when the light passed through it, it vibrated to demonstrate to me new revelation about you. And I looked at it in a hat and out of that hat, I pulled new revelation. And that one time, I got a word when I was talking to Jim, and I shared it with him. I was like, Jim, Brother Jim, I got a word from the Lord. He says, there are six witches in the room. And then you are present before God. You look silly with all of this vain philosophy. You were not abiding in what was given, you were itching ears. You were doing all kinds of divisive things to the body. Frankly, you were injuring people by entering your moronic ramblings into the world. There's not six witches in the room. 
God revealed who he is. We don't have to make it up. In fact, we really shouldn't. All we have to do is look at the word of God and we'll know safely who he is. And know that we abide in him so that when he appears, we'll be confident. I want to hide. You'll know. I'm in Christ. <laughs> not in me. I'm not before you in me. I'm before you in Christ. The righteousness that I'm proud of is because I'm proud of Christ. I bring nothing to this equation. I'm just splayed before you. Claiming Jesus' very righteousness. Verse 29, if you know that he's righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Those godly works that were prepared before the foundation of the world by a sovereign God. For those of us who are now found in Christ, abiding in the teaching of the Spirit from the Word of God, not in the passions or the vain philosophies of men, not in myths. You know, you, you, you've got people um, saying, well, you know, you have to understand the Word of God through, through CRT, right? It shows you how to understand the world and understand it from an oppressor and a victim kind of a perspective. That's evil. Telling you to reframe the way that you understand God based on this world is nothing but error. So John encourages his disciples to endure. Again, we're not Quasimodo looking for sanctuary, you know, with our hunchback dragging one leg through this life half dead because God left us in this crazy place. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And we abide in this life. We carry the message of the gospel with us as we go. All the more as the end comes near. We are continuously having our minds transformed and renewed through the scriptures, remembering who we are, never becoming pride of our salvation, never becoming prideful of our salvation, never boasting in our salvation because we didn't do it. It was given to us like a free gift from God. Even the ability to respond to the gospel wasn't present in you, wasn't present in me until God, by his grace, violated our free will and demanded that we respond to his offer of salvation. This is the sovereign God that we serve. And John points them to abide in that. Don't even listen to these crazy philosophies. I won't even really argue my way through. Um, I, I may have shared with you before, I invited some uh, Mormon young men over to my house in, in New Mexico. And I was like, you guys live on ramen, don't you? You're like college students, like all packed in a little apartment, right? Meeting every morning, talking about who you argued with. Why don't you come over and I'll feed you? I said, they did. We had, I had a couple of Mormon guys at the table. Uh, we went outside and we cooked some steaks, ate some good food. And, you know, they said, wow, I should come back and we'll, let's just, we'll just start doing a study with your family. I said, well, let me tell you what's not going to happen. <laughs> You're not going to come back and do a little study with my family. Um, 
You know, and the scriptures tell us that if someone comes with another gospel, let them be like anathema to you. So one of us, if we're obedient to the word that we say we both believe, has to be like anathema to one another. And I don't want that, and you don't want that. So why don't we talk about our understanding of the gospel? And he said, well, you know, if you pray and there's a burning in your bosom, brother, I don't even know where my bosom is. You know, like, I don't even think I have one. And if I was to rely on the way my body feels to determine truth, it'd get weird fast, all right? The word is all that we have. So we have to understand what's the gospel and who's Jesus. That's the only conversation we have. You could talk about soul sleep with every other uh, person that you knock on their door. I'm not going to talk to you about soul sleep. I'm not going to talk to you about the Archangel Michael and who that might be. I'm not going to talk to you about any of these other constructs. I want to talk about Jesus, and I want to talk about the gospel, and I want to do it with an open Bible. That's what John is encouraging. Abide. Spend time in the Word. I know it can feel nervous to open the door. You want to do like Halloween, right? You want to like turn off the lights and close the blinds when people come over. Have I told you about Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior? Right? Elder so-and-so. It's like 15, riding a bike. And he wants to introduce you to the Lord. Don't be scared of the conversation. You don't have to be an expert in what everyone believes. You have to have been abiding. When, when you're abiding, when you're reading the Word, when you're studying God for who He is, and you hear something that doesn't sound, it doesn't resonate right, you know, it goes, it goes, Quang, like that. You say, wait, 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 I've heard that before. And you're safe to open this. You say, well, let's talk about that, because I, you said this. I, it didn't sound right to me. I don't think I'm a god. I don't think I'm going to go live on a planet and have like a, an allotment of women. I, I don't think that's right. And actually, here's what I think I see in the Bible. So John encourages them to abide, and we should do the same. Let's pray. Great God, thank you for your grace in that you saved us. Your mercy is evident that you've saved anyone at all. God, thank you that you have given us your word so that we can understand you and avoid being in sin. Thank you, God, that you've given us your spirit who lives within us, who does a ministry in us to convict us of sin. Thank you, God, that you've given us a church of fellow like-minded believers with whom we can fellowship. I thank you, God, for the many, many gifts that you have bestowed on us, though we're deserving of nothing. Actually, we are. We're deserving of wrath. But God, you give us grace, and you give us time, and you give a common grace to the world that we live in. And so, God, I pray that we wouldn't squander that, that we would use this time of your patience and grace to tell people about you and your goodness. But we would do so winsomely. God, I pray for us that we would be abiding and not ashamed in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand and join us as we uh, worship through song.